Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. And once again this morning, instead of uh, dismissing the children, we want to welcome them. Children, I hope you got one of these sheets with a picture of the old man holding the little baby Jesus. Last week, quite a few of you came and found me and showed me your drawings, and they were all, every one of them, just wonderful. I'd love to see those again, children, this week. You put those sheets to good work and let them help you to understand and take God's Word into your heart. And children, one other thing. I I hope you had just a wonderful Christmas. I sure did. Mrs. Bullmore came through with her amazing cookies, and in the first service, I made the big mistake of, I don't know why I said this, of saying that that she was going to bring some, which is not true, (laughs) and which was a big mistake, and I'm not sure why I'm saying it again now. Um, But we had such a sweet time together as a family, remembering Jesus and just being together. But Christmas is now past. Um, Jesus' birth, which was announced, remember, by the angel and so anticipated by Mary and Joseph, it has happened. The time of watching and waiting appears to be over, but not for everyone. There was a man who was still watching and waiting for something. His name is Simeon, and this is his story. You follow along as I read. In fact, I'm going to pick back up where we left off last week at verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, 
This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul as well, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Well, let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, we come once again to this time every week where we quiet ourselves and we sit and we place ourselves under your word. We acknowledge your authority to speak to us and God, we wonder what you might have for us this morning. And so we anticipate hearing from you things that we need, things that are good for us and right for us and helpful for us. We want to hear them and we want to do them. And so God help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me do my best to help us understand what is happening here in Luke chapter 2. As you know, Joseph and Mary had made that long and difficult journey from Nazareth down to the little town of Bethlehem, just five or so miles outside of the great city of Jerusalem. And it was there in that town of Bethlehem that Jesus was born. As best we know, out in an open courtyard where he was then laid in a manger. Some shepherds had come to see him, but they had left, and now Joseph and Mary are on their own and need to try to figure things out. How, as very young parents, they were to care for this child, where to find accommodations for themselves, and they were in a bit of a quandary because Jewish custom was that a newborn, especially a firstborn, was to be presented at the temple there in Jerusalem 40 days after it was born. So should they make the trip back up to Nazareth only to turn around a few weeks later and make the long trip down back to Jerusalem, or should they just stay put? We don't know for sure. We're not told what they did, but it's likely that they stayed maybe with some relatives there in the area. But then, as we're told in verse 22, when the time came, they brought Jesus into Jerusalem to present him to the Lord in the temple and to offer a sacrifice. According to the Old Testament law, this this had to do not with the baby but with the mom. It was based on the purification laws in the book of Leviticus, and it called for the mother to bring a lamb and a dove to offer as a thanksgiving offering and as a purification offering. But there was this this provision. If the parents could not afford a lamb, they could bring two doves instead, which is what we're told Mary and Joseph did. That tells us something about the humble means tells us something about Jesus being born into very humble circumstances. Well, while they are there in the temple, just going about their business, they are approached by this man whom 
they don't know. But he's clearly wanting to interact with them. Now, we don't know much about this man, Simeon, either. He doesn't show up anywhere else in the Gospels, just here. We don't know anything about where he comes from. We don't know anything about his occupation. What we do know is that he was, Luke tells us, a righteous man, a devout man. And we know that he was watching and waiting for something. Oh, and that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Look at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And there's actually one other thing we know about Simeon. He had received a very personal word from God. Look at verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. You know, I'm sure that like every other Jewish boy, Simeon had been schooled in the Old Testament as he was growing up. He would have known the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and all that Isaiah had said about a coming one who, who would rescue and redeem. But there came a point for Simeon in his life when he didn't just hear those things, but he believed them. There came a point when he believed all that God had said, and, and these prophecies would have become very personal and very powerful when he truly believed and became truly a child of God. He would now long for the coming of Messiah deep in his own heart. He longed for the coming king, a, a savior, as all devout Israelites would have been doing for centuries. But then, at some point later in his life, we're not told exactly when, God spoke to him. God spoke to him in a very special, personal way by the Holy Spirit, telling him that he, Simeon, would not die until he had personally laid eyes on the promised one. So in his old age, He's watching, he's waiting, and he's wondering how this might come about. And then, one day, he is, he's prompted, he's moved by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple. Please notice what it says there at the beginning of verse 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. That phrase, in the Spirit, speaks of a very special awareness and attentiveness to the Holy Spirit. How, how long had he been waiting? Days? Months? Years? We, we just don't know. But now God brings him to the temple at just the right time to just the exact right place for a very specific meeting. I mean, here he is in the midst of all of that crowd and all of that activity. There would have been people all over the temple area and in the temple itself. And Simeon, no doubt, as he enters into the temple area, he's, he's looking around. His eyes are scanning the crowd. He's eager. No doubt he's a little nervous. I'm guessing he was trembling a bit with excitement. He feels his age. He's aware of his heart beating and the shortness of his breath. And he's there watching, waiting for some sign. And then, 
right in front of him, there's this young couple coming toward him. And God's voice somehow in his head saying, right there, Simeon, there. We don't know how the conversation started. I'm guessing there was a moment or two of awkwardness as this old man motions to them and Mary maybe instinctively edging a little bit closer to Joseph, but God was in it, certainly prompting Simeon and maybe opening and calming Mary's heart at the same time, but at some point Simeon reaches out to indicate that he wants to hold the child. Can, can I hold your child? And Mary and Joseph now may be getting used to these kinds of things happening. And God is there. So Mary holds out her six-week-old little boy to this man. And Simeon takes the child into his arms. I mean, this must have been an amazing moment, right? Simeon takes him into his arms and he looks into that little face and he knows he understands who he's holding. And he proceeds to speak these profound and amazing words. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Simeon is saying, I'm ready to go now, Lord. You have kept your promise. I'm satisfied. There's no more watching and waiting for me. I've seen it. I've seen him, your Savior, that you've prepared us for, for generations, and not just for us, but for the world. Listen, it is by any standard of measurement a remarkable moment. And look at verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Joseph and Mary are amazed again at what's being said about their child. And Simeon then spoke these words of blessing to Joseph and Mary, but right then he looked right at Mary, looked right into her eyes and said to her, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And with that, the encounter is over. Just a few verses later, we read verse 39, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So, there's the account. What's the point? What is this little account of this very brief encounter? What's it doing here? Why, why is this even in the Bible? Here's the point. Right from the beginning of the story of Jesus, Luke wants us to know without any shadow of a doubt that God is providing real salvation for humanity in Jesus. God is providing 
real salvation for people in Jesus. So many times, in so many ways, that point is made in the extended story of Jesus' birth. The angel, remember, tells Joseph, you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. The angel tells the very same thing to Mary, you shall name him Jesus. The angels tell the shepherds, who in turn tell Mary and Joseph and everybody else that they can see, unto us has been born this day in the city of David a Savior. And now here's Simeon saying, my eyes have seen your salvation right here. What's the point? God is providing real salvation for real people in Jesus. Now, I want to I try to drive that point home this morning with three points of application. So first, application number one, God knows our desperate need. God knows our desperate need. There's a longing in all of our hearts for peace, for calmness and comfort and for things to be right. That's what that word consolation is getting at. Back up in verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. Peace, comfort, healing. The prophets spoke of the coming one as the comforter, the one who would come and put an end to distress and sadness and sorrows. God knows the weariness of a people subjected to the effects of sin, both sin in the world and sin in our hearts. I mean, it's tiring and it's discouraging and we long for peace, rest from that for consolation. God knows the effect of all of the hate and all of the anger, all of the guilt, all of the shame and doubt and failure. God knows there is in us a longing to be done with that, and not just done with that, but healed from it. All that misery. There is a desire for consolation, comfort that this world cannot provide, and it's what your heart is longing for if you haven't yet found it in Christ. But there is a need even greater, even deeper, than consolation that God knows. He knows we actually need rescuing, saving. We're, we're in darkness, we're enslaved, and sometimes people don't realize they're in darkness and enslaved, and sometimes people prefer the darkness and they enjoy their enslavement, but God is able to rescue, to bring us into light, into freedom. You know, it's, it's very... Uh, it's very popular these days to say something like, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe, it just matters that you live a good life, that you're kind, that you're tolerant. And people say that without realizing that that is a belief. It's a belief that you can actually pull your life together and live as you should and that you don't need any help from the outside to do that. You, you certainly don't need a savior. I mean, that position says a lot about what you believe about God, if there is one, 
and what you believe about humanity and what you believe about whether there is such a thing as sin or not, the fact is we are in desperate need, not just of consolation, but of salvation. We need help. And God is fully aware of our need. Second, application point number two. God knows his plan. Not only does God know our desperate need, he he knows his plan. He has a plan and he has known it from the very beginning. And all, all down through the long hallways of the Old Testament, I mean from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Jacob's 12 sons, to Moses, to Samuel, to David, to the prophets, God has revealed this plan to provide salvation through one who would come. I mean, it's, it's like there's been bread baking, homemade bread baking throughout all the pages of the Old Testament, and its fragrance just fills all those pages, promising something's coming. And now here it is. What has been promised is fulfilled. What has been prepared is delivered. Simeon says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And then notice verse 32. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. I'm guessing 99% of the people in this room are really glad to see that word Gentiles in there. Do you remember what the angel said to those shepherds? Behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all people. All people. Well, Simeon is now in the spirit, picking up on that, clarifying that. What you have here in the words of Simeon is, I believe, the clearest indication so far of the universal extent of the reach of God's plan of salvation. It reaches to all humanity. Even though God's promise has been flowing so far through the line of the Jewish people, God's plan from the beginning is that all families, all peoples, all nations be reached by and encompassed by this salvation. I mean, just listen to this vision of God. This is just a little representation from the prophet Isaiah, who, by the way, Simeon must have known well and loved because just about everything Simeon says is an echo from Isaiah. Listen to God's plan. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. Isaiah 40, verse 5. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. He's speaking to his chosen servant. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. Isaiah 42, 6. Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Isaiah 49, 6. And listen to this. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Isaiah 52.10. And not just see it, but receive it. Be folded into it. Simeon's words here leave absolutely no doubt the salvation that God has brought in Jesus is universal in its reach. Now, let's be very clear here. 
I'm not talking about universal salvation. The Bible's not talking about universal salvation. It's talking about the universal reach of God's salvation. It's for all people. It will not be received by all. We'll see that in a moment. But there will be those many multitudes from every nation, every generation that will come to him in humble surrender and be raised up as they receive new life and are granted forgiveness full and free. Let those words sink in. Forgiveness full and free. But it won't be without a cost. We see that in those words that Simeon spoke directly to Mary. Verse 34, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And Mary, a sword will pierce through your own soul so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And all that will start just a few years later with what we read just a few verses down in this chapter. Joseph and Mary and Jesus are once again in Jerusalem. Jesus is a 12-year-old boy. Family has business to do. The family leaves. Unbeknownst to his parents, Jesus stays in Jerusalem. Once they discover they're a day's journey out, that Jesus is not with them, they frantically return to the city. I mean, you can imagine the parents of a 12-year-old who's been left behind in the great city. Look at verse 46. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son... Why have you treated us like this? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. I mean, what was that like for Mary? Feeling her son establishing an unusual boundary for her. She'll experience the very same thing just 18 years later at that wedding in Cana. Her son making it very clear to her that she does not have normal authority over him. But those things are are nothing compared to what she will experience as she stands at the foot of the cross and watches her son hang there and have his body pierced with a sword and feel the agony of all of that in her own soul. Friends, this story is not all sweetness and joy. Salvation will be purchased at a heavy cost. Isaiah prophesied that the Christ would be despised and rejected by men, and he was. Jesus was going to be a dividing line. You're either with him or you're opposed to him. And that would cause much grief and much affliction and much opposition. Listen, Jesus wasn't born into a peaceful life. He was born into a war zone. He came to do battle. And it would cost him his life. And by giving of his life, he would rescue people from every corner of the earth. A light for the Gentiles. 
glory for Israel, salvation for all who would come. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God knows his plan. Now, third, application number three. And I include this because it is such a clear feature of all of the accounts that we've been looking at this Christmas with Zechariah and Elizabeth, with Mary, with the shepherds, now here with Simeon. Here's, here's the point. God knows us personally. He cares for us personally. Yes, he knows our desperate need. Yes, he knows his plan But wonderfully, so encouragingly, he knows us. He knows us personally, and he deals with us personally. This is one of the great hallmarks of what we've seen in these first two chapters of Luke's gospel. And we see it here with Simeon in the way that God communicates with him personally and leads him personally and is with him so personally by means of the Holy Spirit. Did you notice this? I mean, I feel like I would not be a faithful preacher if I didn't point this out. Three times in quick succession, Luke tells us of God's personal care for Simeon through the Holy Spirit. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Verse 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And it's not just Simeon who experiences this. Zechariah was filled with the Spirit. Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. My goodness, John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit in the womb of his mother. By the time we reach verse 40 of chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has already been named ten times. But what Luke says about him is far more important than that he names him. What's so significant and so encouraging is what Luke says about what God is doing through the Holy Spirit, that he knows us and sees us and guides us and strengthens us, that we can be led by the Spirit, that we can be in the Spirit, which is not some, don't make the mistake of thinking that's like some trance-like thing, you know. No, it's being in close fellowship with God by His Spirit, enjoying His closeness and His care and His guidance. Listen, you can go to church in the Spirit. And you can go to work in the Spirit. And you can be at home with your family in the Spirit. And Christian, listen, God knows you're going to need that because following Jesus is not easy. You ask Mary, ask Peter, ask Paul, ask anyone who's been a Christian for a while. You don't have to be Jesus to experience opposition. I mean, just following him will work just fine. You'll experience your share, Christian, of gossip, of accusation, of not being included in the group, maybe even persecution, If you are a committed Christian, you will experience some heartache in this world. But I am so encouraged to see here the personal, attentive care that God shows to every person in this story. Zechariah, Mary, 
those shepherds, Simeon. God knows us, and he cares for us, and he speaks to us, and he gives us everything we need to trust him and to follow him. Well, loved ones, as we close out this Christmas season and as we close out this year, as we enter now into 2021, let us have renewed confidence in God. From seeing in these pages his faithfulness to his word. From seeing in these pages and being reminded so vividly of his purpose to save. And from seeing all along the way his tender care for people, ordinary people, like you and me. Friends, we have every reason to be a people full of peace, full of joy, and full of pretty much constant gratitude. And so we say, glory to God in the highest. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you once again for your word so clear, so directed to our hearts, so faith-giving. God, we pray that you would help us now take your word and respond like people who understand that there is a God who speaks and who delights in those who trust him and who is ready to provide everything that is needed for life and godliness. God, we close out this year and we look forward with eager anticipation to the next. God, we don't know, just like we didn't know at the beginning of 2020 what it was going to hold. We don't know what 2021 holds, but we know you. And we know you hold both history and our lives. And so, God, help us to live like that, to trust you, to love you, to honor you. And God, we pray, put us to use as a church. In Jesus' name.